Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm told that homeless people congregate in this part of the park. It's like a whole camp. Can I help you? Do you mind if we ask you some questions and film you? Who will see this? Uh, well, it gets posted to the internet. Someone who can help me. Yes. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm Baker Amalu, the writer director of The Asian. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer director of the film Hall Suites. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, everybody. This is Mo Ali, the director of Montana. Hey, guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. The from page to screen. Just this very minute checking to see what time, in fact, it was in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, you, have I got it early? But spot on. Can I can I video call you, or do you prefer it on just um, the? Generally, I do audio because it allows the recording of the audio to be a lot smoother. Okay. If I do video, it may glitch it and be a bit of a pain right. in the rear end. But I'm nothing really to look at. I'm, I'm more, I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I'm more an impressive voice than I am an impressive face. <laughs> there you go. Well, we can see your face right now. You're very impressive. You have a goatee. It's. That's uh, can you we're see very it? happy with this image. Yeah. Okay. That'll do. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, I'm, all right, I'm going to take my headphones off for a quick second because I'm making Annie a coffee here, okay. so I'll be back in a second, but I'll leave you with Annie. Wow. Hello, Annie. How are you? I'm doing great, Stuart. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. I've been out at somebody's christening today, so I literally got back in about 45 minutes ago, so it's, it's a oh, awesome, that's nice. an awesome Sunday so far. Excellent. It, it's, so it's 8 p.m. there? It is 8 p.m. Yep, so I'm speaking to you from the future. <laughs> which is a really cool segue into the conversation we're going to have as well yes indeed a, absolutely accidental segue but yeah i realized halfway through saying it, i'm like that kind of fits in totally so that's really good so what have you got planned for the rest of your day my day is nearly done because i've been very busy but what have you got planned for the rest of yours yes my day has just begun i'm uh i'm directing a play and the play opens it's really just a workshop production but it opens thank you very much guy yeah, for that coffee uh guy is a barista extraordinaire in addition to his other many many talents um so i've got this play opening on monday december 5th and when i get home i am going to be doing a ton of work on that play including a lot of prop shopping and uh, figuring out how to get my couch over to the theater because we're going to use my couch in the spirit of saving money. And um, I've got (laughs) miles to go before I sleep. This this is something that nobody else will understand unless they've seen Alistair 1918, but couldn't you sort of construct a landing site so the couch just appears there? (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Absolutely. If I could send that couch through a wormhole into the theater, that would definitely save me a little bit of stress. Nice. Good. Well, I started my morning off. This is going to be like the weirdest way I've ever watched a film, but I will hopefully explain. Hopefully, it will get taken the, the correct, complimentary way it is meant. Because I, I started a regular day job three weeks ago, 
all the film stuff I do, I have to shunt into Sundays and Mondays now. So that's been a little bit of an adjustment, but a fun one. Absolutely. But it's, it's nice to get a, a wage, a salary, though, for doing it. Because I don't get it for the movie stuff, as generally most film people don't. It's not like yeah. a regular yeah. income. So yep. to, to be able to do that is kind of cool. Um, so I'm okay doing it. But I've shunted everything. All the podcasts I tend to do on a Sunday now, and all the website stuff I do on a Monday. So I got up this morning. I'm like, right, tonight... I am speaking with Annie and Guy, so I'm going to watch Alistair, 1918. I ran out a little bit of time this morning, so I got about half an hour into it, and I stopped at the perfect moment. I thought, right, I'm going to watch the rest of it when I get in tonight before I speak to you guys. But the the part that I stopped at was the most perfect little break for me that I decided when I got in tonight, I thought, do you know what? I don't want to talk to these two having watched the entire film. Okay. Which will make sense when I, when I start talking about the the film itself but what i generally don't do i don't give out spoilers the conversation that we're all going to have is is enough to make people go i want to watch alistair 1918 where can i find it i need to watch this film which is generally the way i do i'm not into one of these sort of podcasts where they go and the end scene is amazing because you know it turns out (laughs) he sees dead people and all that sort of stuff i'm not even when i do reviews i generally give a very basic plot summary and then that's it because I like people to go watch films for themselves rather than Absolutely. I, don't, I don't have to watch it now because I've just heard everything that happened in it and I've just read everything that I did, so I've just saved myself two hours. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm up to the point because I, I went to this christening today and oh. the character of Alistair has been in my mind all day and I love that because I love movies that make me think. Great. Yeah, and I think also from you know being a fan of your show and, and listening to you, you're... Uh, you're very, you're more, you, you know, you do movie reviews, but you're also really focused on the process and the creative process behind the film yep. too, you know, and we can talk about that for for hours and hours and hours, you know, uh, obviously we won't today, but, but yeah, um, well, this is fun. This is exciting. I'm so, it's, it's so weird talking to you because I, I, I hear you talking on your podcast and then you know, your mind kind of goes along with it because, you know, you did your thing the other day about, uh, um, you know, how you would run a studio. Oh, you know, so much fun doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and you're always kind of talking along in your head. It was like, oh, no, that would never work. You're never going to do press. You know, uh, that was one of your things that you wouldn't do press screenings before. Yep. And so now to actually talk to you, it's a really <laughs> surreal experience. Yeah, well, I don't know if I mentioned it on the studio one, but I, I used to live for, nearer to London at one point. So I was invited to a couple of press proper press screenings rather than yeah. you know screener things and whatnot and on more than one occasion i have seen professional journalists for massive newspapers at these screenings and they don't even watch the film they're just sat there on their ipad or just playing yeah. on the phone and then you read the review and the review's kind of like yeah i saw this film same old crap not really that good performances were dull and I'm thinking, you didn't even watch the film. And it really annoys me. So that's why, because press screenings, they could kill a movie. You know, if yeah. the reviews oh, start, yeah. I mean, look, Batman v Superman. I mean, it still made a yep. ton of money, but the yep. reviews were less than complimentary. Um, and I liked that film. I, I really enjoyed it. But the press screenings <laughs> hammered it. So, I, yeah, that's why I wouldn't hold press screenings. Because I still, I love watching movies for free. And I am, that's one of the perks that I do get. So I, I am, you know, able to watch a lot of films that I don't, you know, I don't go out and buy. Yeah. But there is still nothing better than going into a shop and 
putting your money down because you choose your films more wisely, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whereas and it's, you, like, it's like, go on, sorry. Sorry, okay. Whereas if you get films for nothing all the time, you'll watch anything. And, you, and yeah. therefore, very few films will impress the hell out of you. It's it's putting your money down. It's the same with making them too. It's when when your own money's on the line. It's a whole different experience to when you're you know being funded by somebody else. It's a different, you know, you you're watching every penny. What um, yeah, totally. What um, so for your your audience? I mean, I'm obviously a filmmaker and I gravitate towards it. Would you say that it's a filmmaking crowd or or as when we speak? When we talk, I mean, what what are you looking for us to focus on? Anything at all. I just we will just have a chat about everything. We have a wide we we we, we this episode we actually do. So no, <laughs> the show has a very wide range from people who will watch Netflix, people who will just watch movies, to filmmakers. And you'll see the actual filmmakers there, but no, to filmmakers. Uh, from right. you know California and Australia and various other countries of the world. So it is quite a wide range um one of the co-hosts that i record with john fouts he is a yep. filmmaker he's an indie filmmaker um, i love his laugh he's got a great uh, laugh the, he has indeed <laughs> do you not find oil he laughs at everything i he's the best audience in the world for me because i could go oh john i fell over today and he'll just laugh and it makes me feel like I'm funny and entertaining so <laughs> yeah yeah he's very jovial so i quite like that um, but yeah, it's a very wide range. Say whatever you want. If you want to switch your swear filter off, it's fine because it's you know, there, there is no dictatorship here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, say whatever you want. But uh, now I started watching Alistair 1918, and I got to the point where he'd just gone back to the landing site for the first time, and then the film crew had gone away, and then for all day I'm like, I hope he's all right. <laughs> and it's weird because I'm there out, I'm out in the real world today and I'm you know mixing with friends and family members and stuff and I'm thinking I hope he's alright <laughs> and it's and that's why I didn't want to because I've not seen beyond that part I didn't want to come on and go wow that was amazing so he was from World War One, or he wasn't or have you ever seen a film uh, called K-Pax with no I have seen it very good Kevin Spacey yeah. plays a guy called K-Pax who just materializes in, um, I think it's Grand Central Station or Union Station. He just shows up. He gets arrested because he's like, I'm an alien from the planet K-Pax. So they obviously go, you're crazy. We're going to put you in a mental asylum. And yeah, he, yeah. and the film basically is him going, but I am an alien. And it leaves you at the end credits where some people could go, yes, I think he is. Hmm. Yeah. Or no, I don't think he is. And you make your own mind. And I love films like that. So part of me was scared that I put Alistair 1918 and go, is it going to resolve itself? Because I really uh-huh. love the fact that at the moment I am at the minute, it's like he could be, yeah. he might not be. I like that. <laughs> I thought I want to savor that moment yeah. for a few hours today. Because this, this guy, it was you, you played Alistair. He's just been on my mind all day and I hope he's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I will gonna... find out. Don't We're tell not me. Yet. Spoiler alert! Yeah. No. Don't but tell or you me could, or you could just it. not make it. You could never watch the rest of the film, and just no. in your mind, in your mind, just be like, just make up your own ending. Yeah, but that's then... mean because you guys have made like a, a ninety-minute film, and I'm going, yeah, well, half an hour is enough for me. I'm out of here. I don't need to watch the other hour you've done. But I'm yes, loving do it. Yes, do watch so the do yes. watch the rest of it, yeah. please, Stuart. Yes, I disagree with that. I think you should watch and see what finds out after savoring the suspense of not knowing if Alistair is okay. Exactly. 
and I didn't want to rush watching the last hour either because I had limited time for when I got back in. I thought, yeah. I'm really, I'm like, I've got a bone to pick with you though. Is generally what podcasters do and website people do, and pretty much everybody does, is they will come up with a top 10 film list of the year. And I actually keep a list of every film that I watch. So I think I'm on about 260 or something now. And, you, you know, your one will be the, the newest addition to that one. Wow. Twice yeah. in the past month I've had to go, damn it, I did have a top 10 list. But now I've got two more that are in. Uh, yeah. Hunt for the Wilder People's just gone in there and Snowden by Oliver Stone. Oh, Big really? Oliver Stone fan. Real out yeah. those films. And I'm thinking Alistair's going to go in there as well. So you keep messing Ooh. my list. You don't keep messing my list up, but you mess <laughs> my list up three times in a month. So I yes. I just love it. It's <laughs> success. Definitely <laughs> success. Yes. Because Alistair's so likable. Yes. And there is a scene where somebody is, and I try to be slightly cagey, but somebody goes, oh, I'm a little bit worried about you. Come with me. Let's, let's get you a shower or whatever. And the other guy's like, nope. Don't do it. And I'm like, no, I'd, I would. I'd help him. Because he just seems like such a likable, innocent chap. It's like, there should be more people like that. And also, I will let you guys talk in a minute as well. Um, it kind of makes you look at homeless people in a different way. A lot of people have been saying that, yeah. And I think that that is a great uh, testament to the strength of the performance and how, yeah, how likable – Alistair is and how he draws people in and it it's definitely changed the way that I uh, you know look at homeless people when I'm just doing my daily life in in Los Angeles yeah and I think that's what I mean, I've not encountered any homeless people since this morning um, but I it makes me think about people differently and I know that when I'm walking down certainly in the city of Manchester down here there'll be quite a lot of them and in the past you, you sort of swerve out the way and you just you know you might say morning or something you generally carry on about your day but i'm going to look at these people and go where are you from in fact when are you from or what's the backstory behind the fact that you're sitting down next to a a shop doorway or something like that so it's you know there's a wonderful premise to alistair 1918 but there's also a really like a grounded reality thing that makes people think and treat each other differently which is very good. I like that. Oh, thank you. Thanks for picking that up. Yeah. So uh, let's, um, for anybody who's like, what is this, Alistair 1980? <laughs> Who would like to give a very basic pitch? Of, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, so Alistair, Alistair 1918 is a movie about um, a woman who is shooting a documentary about homeless people as part of her, her master's in public health. And right away she meets this man in Griffith Park, and he is filthy dirty, and he's dressed in a World War One soldier's uniform. She asks him if uh, she can interview him, and he agrees. And right away, she finds out, he tells her that he doesn't know how he got here to Los Angeles, that he was fighting in a war, and he got blown through a hole and landed on this metal contain- container in an alleyway. And she, although she does not initially believe that he's from 1918 because it seems impossible. <laughs> she, uh, she's nevertheless intrigued by him and she cares about him. They make sort of an immediate connection and she kind of can't shake him. So she turns him into her project and what he wants is help to get home to his wife in 1918. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. 
Would you go along with that guy? Do you think that's like a perfect, perfect? I that, think it's a perfect. That was the film I saw too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where did this? I mean, I know where this came from because I think you told me a while back, guy, when I did like an email type conversation with you and whatnot. But where did the where did Alistair nineteen eighteen come from? The movie, not Alistair, because we figure he's come from nineteen eighteen. Yeah, well, all of your listeners in in England and you know, all the from the countries that were involved in World War One will be very aware of the hundred anniversary of the First World War. That's you know been at media and films and television programs and my dad found some old photos or dug them up of family members that had fought and died in the war and I was just looking at these grainy old photos and just thought you know what would these guys think about my life now a hundred years in the future with all of the the technology that we have and my life here living in LA and that's sort of how the the story started to develop um, I took a World War One soldier stuck him in the middle of LA and gave him no resources and just wanted to see how he would survive. And, and it's just sort of the soldier's story. How do I get home from these impossible, frightening, perilous circumstances back to the ones that I love? And that's, that's the story of the movie. And that's how it came. That's how it came, came along. And, you know, one of the family members, Fred Noble, who, who died, he was my great, great uncle. He died in the last year of the war. When they sent his belongings home to my family, they found this picture of this girl and nobody knew who she was. It was his sweetheart. And just, you know, that it just, you know, it brings a tear to your eye thinking, you know, that he couldn't make it back to her and she was waiting. And one day she got that somebody arrived or she got a letter saying that, you know, he wasn't coming home from the war. So just, a, you know, it's just so full of, these dramatic human stories, that emotion, you know, anytime you bring wartime into, into film or, or fiction, you've already got this sort of under, this underbed of, of drama is already in there. And, you know, plus modern LA is, is no joke. It's a very, it's a very hostile environment um, if you don't have a car or a place to live. And, and that's where the movie comes from. So talking about hostile environments, how, because there's a lot of scenes where Alistair, I nearly accidentally called a guy then, but when <laughs> Alistair is walking around various bits of LA, how was that like to film with regards to people going, what are you doing? Why is he dressed in a war uniform? Get the guy a shower. How, <laughs> what, what, did you run into any problems while filming or was it just relatively straightforward uh... to a certain level? I would say it was pretty straightforward to a certain level when we were filming with the entire crew, um, our tiny crew, you know, albeit, but, uh, we didn't have, you know, there was one day when we were shooting in Hollywood where, um, our DP was waiting for us to come around the corner and pick him up. We were changing locations and he had had a, an odd run in with a, a person who is probably mentally ill telling him, uh, asking if he could hold his camera and could he shoot some and and our dp was so nice and polite saying sorry bro no man i, I can't let you have this camera and he go come on man i wanted to collaborate with you i wanted to collaborate which was like wow it's pretty la but uh on the other hand there were certain scenes where it was just guy shooting there are certain um Alistair, we call them the Alistair selfies but there's a point in the movie where my character poppy 
gives Alistair a camera so that he can better, uh, he, so that he can keep like a video diary, a video journal of his days and nights. And Guy did uh, go out late at night into these kind of weird, you know, back alleys and dressed in the way that he was. And he he definitely had, at the very least, some weird looks and some odd interactions. Guy, can you? Yeah, yeah. It was because I wanted to do the, you know, how when actors play homeless people, Richard Gere just did this and they spend a night on the street. You hear about this all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I tried to do it and I, I couldn't, you know, Richard Gere is a better man <laughs> because uh, the actual landing site that we used, I jumped up on top of it and tried to spend the night up there as Alistair would do. And and I had the camera up there and I was trying to do um, a, a time lapse shot that would show the Alistair's point of view of the sunrise over L.A., which is beautiful. But around about four o'clock in the morning, just people started coming around and it just I was there with this camera and it just did not feel good. I just started to, you know, and it, it started to feel really afraid for my safety. So I put on my cell phone to just check to see what time it was. And uh, it illuminated this syringe that was sitting on the top of the container right next to my arm. And had I rolled to my left, it would have stuck in my arm. And I was like, all right, that is it. I'm out of here. <laughs> and then, you know, but then driving home to my house with my bed in my car, I mean, just uh, that was worth the experience just to see how how lucky we are, you know, to have have a place to go. And these people are out every night. I mean, there are tens of thousands on the streets of L.A., and it's it's just it's horrifying. It is. It's a scary world, isn't it? I mean, we. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have done it, where you'll be out Christmas shopping or whatever, and you'll just see homeless people. You will just look, and you'll go, oh, and then you'll just carry on because you've got a shop to be at, or you've got yeah. to get home to watch something on TV or, or something like that. And it's yeah. So the the, the fantasy element of Alistair nineteen eighteen is very very cool, but also I. I We'll go back to the human element, which I'm a massive fan of. So I just hope I don't have my heart broken by then. I really, I really, I really want him to. Um, it's a bit like somebody gives you a box and you go, "If I open that box, am I going to be really happy? Or there's going to be a spider in it? I don't want to see a spider, yeah. so I'm never going to open that box." So yeah. I shall find out later on. <laughs> but I also didn't want to give away any accidental spoilers or i'm usually pretty good at not giving those away on films but i wanted to be extra careful on this one so how was the reception when you guys were at san diego comic-con were you both there oh yeah yeah we were there and the the other cast members were there and some of our i mean well the cast was the crew in this case but yeah we had like a whole group of us together and it was fantastic it was a really fun weekend um i can't possibly imagine a better place to have had our world premiere than at Comic-Con. Those audiences are so uh, devoted. They're so discerning. It was like an honor to be to be chosen. The reception was unanimously positive. We had this really terrific, um, you know, engaging Q&A afterwards. And then and then after that, we did some interviews, which were terrific. And then and then Guy took us out to this wonderful you know, this wonderful dinner and we just celebrated. It, it was uh, like a dream. Yeah, it was a great day. You were there. I was. You were at Comic-Con. My first ever San Diego Comic-Con. And my God, there's a lot to do there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. It's too much. After two days, I was just, I needed to, yeah. 
Well, no, I think on the Wednesday, Annette and I, who's my partner, we had a wander around and we collected our, our badges and stuff. And then we had a quick run around the exhibit floor. Thursday, um, we went on... A, I was shooting something there called Experiencing Comic-Con, which is this weird thing that I've started filming that came out of nowhere. And I never planned to film anything, but it kind of started doing so i thought i need to end it somewhere so let's do san diego comic-con so right. the thursday for me was the search for oliver stone and my quest to get into <laughs> hall h uh, yeah. and i did get into hall h and i saw oliver stone so i'm quite happy about that i was in the same room as him so i was quite impressed and then i had a wander around the exhibit floor and then friday i was hanging out with the cast of the walking dead as you do oh, nice. at a press breakfast our front row and i filmed the whole thing and i was quite impressed with that and then i done i did a single take around the entire exhibit floor which took me about 50 minutes so that was fun and so, but it was exhausting yeah and oh was, yeah looking at all the q and a panels that are on all the screenings beforehand i had the whole list of them and i thought I can't commit to do any of these because I don't even know what I'm going to expect at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. So I missed the majority of them because there's just so much to do, but it's an amazing atmosphere. It is. It is amazing. It was also, oh my gosh, it was about 100 degrees, wasn't it? Yeah, it was <laughs> so really hot, hot this, yeah. this year. Um, yeah, it was crazy to see the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger each day because we got down there. What you got down there early, but the rest of yeah. us joined on Thursday, I think. Yeah. And by Saturday. Oh, my goodness. If we thought it was crowded on Thursday, Saturday it was just like insane. And, you know, at one point uh, we took a little break and we got lunch and I was in the restroom washing my hands and I saw this young woman wearing this really cool costume. I don't know what she was, a character from something I don't know. She had the face paint, the body paint, and she was reapplying her face paint. And I was getting hot just looking at her, and I couldn't. And she said, you know, every time I dress as this character, it either rains or it's like 100 degrees. And I was like, wow. Like, I was wearing a tank top and shorts, and I was I was dying. So uh, the devotion of, you know, those, those fans is really something. So my friend um, Heidi Hillicker is one of the – She's kind of a, a Comic-Con mainstay. She she dresses up as Wonder Woman each year, and she's been a featured featured in movies and in books. She just That's her thing that she goes as every year. So I called her. I'd, I'd done a play with her, so I knew her. And so I called her and I said, we're going to Comic-Con. I just need some really creative ways to promote Alistair, you know, because we're sending out emails, but so is everybody else, you know. There's hundred, everyone's getting promoted left, right, and center. So I, I said I was thinking about doing the cosplay thing and going as as this homeless World War One soldier. <laughs> yeah. So she said that is a fantastic idea. People are going to love you. And so I one morning I got up and I put all the mud on and the dirt and I I mean I'm wearing this wool suit, you know, <laughs> yeah. this wool costume, walking around San Diego. It's 100 degrees, feeling a little bit faint. I go in there, people, nobody will talk to me, look at me. It was just like the worst publicity stunt ever. It was just like the anti-publicity stunt. I did more damage to this film than that one thing. And then, and then out of the blue, and you know how many hundreds of thousands of people are there, I see her and she comes walking up. But she didn't recognize me. The look on her face was like horror of like, who is that guy? And I said, Heidi, it's me. I'm, doing, I'm wearing the wardrobe that you recommended. And she said... Yeah, I think people maybe think you're from a zombie from The Walking Dead or something. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, so I went home and had a shower and then came back in my regular clothes. You would. You'd yeah. smell like a beet pie after a while in that heat, yep. wouldn't you? It's not, not good. Yep. But I, I would have done that. I would have gone dressed as Alistair and actually yep. gone in character as. <laughs> I'd be like, what is this thing? What's that you got in your hand? An iPhone? Yeah. What's that all about? I just, <laughs> yeah. just, just go all Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. and just be yep. totally convinced. Absolutely. But it was, was that your first ever Comic-Con, a San Diego Comic-Con? Or have you been before but not to promote a film? I've been before but just uh, not to promote a film. My my friend uh, had tickets one year through her husband, and so I went down to visit with her and, you know, walk the convention floor. But this was the first time I've done it for real. Nice. Yeah, and it was my first time uh, too. And I sort of – I went to uh, Sundance a few years ago, and I did not have a film there and it was a rough experience. And after that, because everyone said, hey, so what are you in? What do you got? What are you doing? And you said, well, I'm just kind of here watching movies. I, I just kind of vowed that I wouldn't go to a major you know, entertainment type event unless I had something to talk about. So I've avoided it until now. Luckily, it was our world premiere. So I had something to talk about when I was there. But um but yeah, that that's sort of been a, a rule of thumb of mine is to not show up unless I can promote a project. No, that's a good. I'd never show up yeah. to events unless I could talk about somebody else's project. So I'm okay with that because I never run out of stuff to watch, <laughs> yeah. which is really cool. But how were you on the, the Q&A panels? Are you a fan of the Q&A panels, the, the sort of questions you were getting with the, the old they were, spot Yeah, they, they were spot on. They were really terrific. Um, they were all intelligent questions. And, you know, uh, it seems like a, the film provokes a lot of the same, the same types of feedback. People were totally impressed by the performances. People kept on saying how original it was. And I, I, that's one of the things I love most about this movie is I think Guy pulled off a nearly impossible task, which is to write a script that actually feels totally new and original. I mean, it's, it's this like sci-fi film that's packaged like this documentary. So it's, I mean, I love character driven, realistic, sort of fly on the wall realism kind of films. And that's what this film is. And yet it's got this really incredible, smart sci fi element to it. So it's kind of like this genre defying, uh, new, unique thing. Yeah. And then luckily for the in the Q&A in the audience would invited a ton of journalists to be there. And, uh, you know, Sci-Fi Magazine was there and a bunch of other Sci-Fi bloggers. And they had great questions for us. So we kind of had our had our, our crowd were there. Uh, and they jumped in with questions. So it wasn't like tumbleweeds, you know. <laughs> it can be, can't it, tumbleweeds? Yeah. I, I host Q&A panels periodically. I've done it for the past two years in a, in a Welsh Comic-Con. And sometimes on panels you go, all right, audience, any questions? Yeah. Uh, nope. Okay. But luckily, because I've done lots of podcasts, if I sense that nobody's going to ask, well, I just carry on because I've got enough. I could keep people talking for hours and hours and hours and often do. And so the audience can just go away. If they don't want to ask something, I'm fine. I can yeah. be guest entertained. Uh, and, you can all, yeah. and you can do the cheat too, where you have the index cards in your hand and you go, and these were some questions that people texted to me during the during the screening. And then you can just read them off and it sounds like they're coming from the audience too. Oh, I never thought of that one. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember the, yeah. the two years ago, I did the first, I think we hosted about 15 panels now and about 13 of those wow. were at this one event. So the first year I did seven. I think I did about six last year. 
And the, for the very first year, it was seven in a row. So it was from 11 o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, bang, all different ones, Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Star Wars, everything. And it was the, uh, the organizer said, right, I've, uh, I've ordered all the stationery. So what sort of index cards do you want? I went, uh, what? He said, well, how many do you need? And do you want them with the Sci-Fi Wheels logo on the back? Or I, went, oh, I don't need an index card. He's like, all oh, right, have you got your own? I went, no, <laughs> just, I don't use them. I literally just get on stage with a microphone and go, and we're off. <laughs> Here we yeah. go. Yeah. I I'd, I'd usually do have a list of the people that are coming on. But beyond yes. that, I just wing it. And it's so far, it's not collapsed and failed me yet. So I'm sure at some point it will. Yeah, and sometimes those are the best where it's just kind of a, a chat and, you know, you just get to get more of an inside scoop and the the, the artists and actors and everyone, they're a bit more relaxed yeah. ab- about it. How is that? How is the edit coming for the Comic-Con film? It's going what, okay because the story behind the Comic-Con film, which is just bizarre, is I do podcasts like this one and that's pretty much what I do and I do the website and the social media and stuff. But when I was doing the first year of The Wills, uh, panel hosting I thought well I really need a record of this because I want to be able to watch it and show people that weren't there so I'm going to film it all and well if I'm going to film it all I suppose I could make it like 90 minutes and just do like a highlight thing and maybe that could be a film and I'm going to call it let's call it experiencing comic con that'll be mm. fun so I did it and I had me on stage and I had one camera set up pointing to get a wide angle and nobody manning it because I was on stage and I had a friend of mine come down with a second camera but he disappeared for lunch, and he didn't let me know he was going for lunch. And then he was, ch- he was chasing a girl at the time, so he's like, well, I'm going to go look around the exhibit floor. So at the end of the day, I'm like, right, wh- why is half this footage missing? <laughs> and he went, oh, so I went for lunch. So I thought, well, I can't turn that into a film. How the hell can I make this into something? So I visited various Comic-Cons and filmed bits and pieces and various interviews. I met Michael Bean from Aliens and you know a bunch of other people and got them on camera. And I thought, well, I still need an ending. Well, San Diego Comic Con, you know, let's let's blow the savings and just go out there for a week. Totally. Yes. So like I went out. A, like and a real film like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, what the hell? How do I how do I end it? This thing <laughs> I've already started. And um, I can do basic video editing, but I'm kind of teaching myself how to edit the long way around. So I've currently got a three-hour, 40-minute work print (laughs) that that takes about 14 hours to render on my PC each time I make a tweak. Um, So that's where I'm up to at the minute. I'm going to make a super long cut, then cut it down, then put in the voiceover and do my own score, which I've got to learn how to do a score. So I am literally about as independent as you can get because it's just me. So it's getting there. Uh, sounds also- sounds like someone I know. I you know one of the things, and uh, I know you haven't seen the whole the whole film yet, but the score it was it was also scored by Guy, uh, who has a background as a musician first, and um, I just you know I kind of can't. He's sort of like a one man band. He's got these this skill set that just dwarfs almost anybody I know. Um, and the music adds so much to the movie that now it's hard for me to even imagine Alistair without the music um once he put it in it was sort of like this of course you know like this is what it was missing you know and you learn by necessity I mean what you're doing with this film is exactly what a lot of filmmakers have done is that you know you learn how to edit on this one and then the next one you already got that in your back pocket so you learn more about cinematography and then the next one and the next one and then by the time you get to you know your fourth or fifth film you you can't you know I mean you've got such an enormous skill set 
to to just crank these things out. So hopefully this won't be your last and you'll be able to parlay it into the next one. I, I've already got three in various stages of edit <laughs> because I was in <laughs> San Diego Comic I was at San Diego. I wasn't in the Comic Con, but I was at San Diego and there are a couple of people who do listen to the show. So hi Neil, hi Tracy, and they are filmmakers in their own right. And last year I decided, well, once I finish this Comic-Con one and it's done and out there, I want to do, just imagine the three of us sitting down in a room having this conversation, but it's filmed. thought, right, that's what I want to do. I want ah. to do video interviews, but not for 10 minutes or 15 minutes like a lot of them are. I want to do feature-length interviews. Yeah, put yeah. them online, everybody can watch them. So it's basically a video yeah. podcast, but filmed. Nice. So I'd... Fundraised, fundraised a little bit for that on Indiegogo, which failed miserably. So I'm so not a fan of crowdfunding anymore. But luckily, I have a job, so I can just, <laughs> yeah. I could save up and do it the way that you know that I could do it. I should do it. So I had spoke to Neil and Tracy about this, and I said to Tracy, I said, you know, one time I'd like to shoot you on one of the episodes. Well, we're in San Diego, so let's shoot it while we're out here. So I'm like, okay. So I filmed that one when I was out there, oh, not great. being edited. And then a couple of months back, I went to a film festival in Manchester, which is about an hour down the road from me, and sat down with a guy called Sean and a guy called Craig Conway, who's been in films like Dog Soldiers, The Descent, various movies. And oh, then, yeah. I love him. Yeah. And I sat down yeah. with him for about an hour and a quarter, and I filmed the second one. So I've got three things, and none of them have been finalized yet. So I've, uh, yeah. So at least I've got three that'll make it sometime. So don't know what the fourth one's going to be yet, but I'm sure something will come up. Wow, that you got your work cut out for you there. It's Certainly. sitting in a dark room. Yeah. Considering I don't know how to actually put a film together, I'm doing quite well for filming them. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know what? No one really does. I mean, we all kind of think we do, and we jump off a cliff, and we we hope when we the parachute opens on the way down and we make it safely, you know? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? It's the same with, you know, with, with putting on a play, I mean, anything could happen at any time to your cast or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's all a big, it's a crap shoot, you know? And I figure if it doesn't work, if none of my projects work, it doesn't really matter because it's pretty much my own money that's gone down the plug hole anyway. I, so yeah. I don't, I'm not going to have anybody kicking my door down going, oi, where's my budget? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one thing. So let's talk Alistair 1918. It's been seen at San Diego Comic-Con. What's the journey of it so far? Where Where is it going next? Where How is it going to end up? How How is everybody going to see it? It's you, Comic-Con was such a huge experience for us. And after that uh, world premiere, we just wanted to share it with the, with the world. So we put the first 20 minutes of the film is out on YouTube. For, for free. It's also on our Vimeo page. And we put the movie out for rental or download. So you can go to alistair1918.com and watch the whole thing there, just as you would, um, you know, watch watch any other movie. So it's it's out. We just wanted to get it out to people once we'd premiered it. Uh, we didn't want to do the, the long film festival route. Um, we just uh, we just wanted to connect with people that love this type of film and and uh, entertain them. That's what we wanted to do. Now, how have the YouTube generation been towards it? Because YouTube comments can be pretty damn vicious on pretty much anything. I've seen a lot of them. Have they been kind? Hopefully they have. That's funny. I, I, uh, I've I never read the YouTube comments, and I don't think I will. I I feel like that's like a thing that I've heard. Don't ever read the comments. So um, I would prefer not to. I mean, I, I, I know how proud I am of this film, and 
And I think, you know, my mom used to always say, consider the source. So if I'm taking uh, feedback or, you know, constructive criticism, I, I think I try to be, uh, you know, at least in smart about where I'm getting it from. I don't, I don't imagine going to the YouTube comment section and taking a look, but I do think that, you know, um, the, I mean, the film, it looks gorgeous. Many thanks to our great talented, uh, cinematographer, Devin Skiro. It, uh, it's a really polished, you know, beautiful looking film. In addition to having all of these very excellent performances, um, guy, have you read the YouTube comments? No, um, I'm of the same mind as you, you know, we, uh, there's a lot of people have opinions about your work, especially living in LA and putting out the amount of work that Annie and I do. Um, Annie always has a play that she's directing and putting out and at every show there are numerous, uh, critics that, that come. So you kind of develop your own sort of personal level of, of, of criticism from people that you trust and that you know that are, know your journey, know where you are in your development and, uh, know how to, to be constructive about such things. So, um, I think I, I, I do love, uh, comments. It gives people a chance to engage and, and, and speak their mind about things and talk with each other, but as a reliable source of feedback for your creative work, I'm not hundred no. percent sold on it. No, yeah, I wouldn't be. I yeah. have, I do a multitude of podcasts and one of them is a horror show. Um, which I do quite like horror films, but if it's not my most favorite genre, I think drama and thrillers would probably be my favorite ones. But I do the horror show because uh, it's an outlet for some of the horror content I get through. And the, the guy that I co-host start with, he's very, very blunt when it comes to film reviews. So he will watch a film and he go, I watched film X. Did you like it? Nope. Crap. <laughs> crap. Awful. Perform- and it's like, oh, this isn't what the director set out to do. Well, how do you know? Because unless you know the director, I'd, how do you know what he was trying to do? Oh, no, what I would have done is I'd have made it this way and that way. Well, that's you doing your thing. <laughs> it's, it's like him and I are always butting heads on his style of reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I said to him once, I said, if you watched a film and it cost £200 million, would you review that any different as you would the same film if it cost $1,000? He went, nope. I'm like, really? <laughs> I would. I tend to cut a little bit of slack on the lower budget films because they don't have the, mm-hmm. you know, they can't go, oh, let's just redo that. We'll just do that again or we'll bring in fleets of helicopters or whatever. He's like, nope, don't care. And he's very, very blunt, very, very negative with films and it really annoys me, <laughs> which is, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't invite him to my press screenings that I wouldn't have if I ran <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yeah, I mean, r- reviews are really interesting. It's like, Coming from a, a theater background, um, you know, I'm used to getting reviews and my philosophy is I don't find it particularly helpful to read reviews while the play is still going on because it can, uh, you know, I mean, and actors, you know, I know a lot of actors that don't read reviews at all, um, but particularly while it's still going on because it can make them self-conscious about their performance, uh, can get, you know, make them get into their heads. And I think that while a, a show is still is still performing, there's something um, a little bit I don't know risky about like opening the door for you know something that could taint your experience of watching it until it's over. I do think that you know there's something there's maybe something to be gleaned of of reading reviews, but again, only if there are people whose opinions you sort of respect. 
Um, otherwise it can just be a little bit of a, I think it's so important for artists to foster their, their voice and their vision. And I think that if you are one of those people that's trying to read every single scrap of, um, you know, press that's been written about a certain project, it can start to dilute your own, your own creative vision. Definitely. But if you, if you, oh, carry on. if you write as a, a comment, Stuart, we would read it and we would reply to it. <laughs> well, that's that, that's because you know that I have not not necessarily on your team, but it's a case of I realize how hard filmmakers work. I realize that there is a, a cost thing to it as well, and I, I get really annoyed with these people that go, oh, "I've just watched this film that so the guy spent twelve years making this film, and he put every penny of his thing in. He said." It's it's his life. Did you like it? No. Really? You don't, like, oh, yeah. for God's but sake. also, you you have an encyclopedic knowledge of films by this point. You were telling us what two hundred and sixty films you've seen already this, this, this year. year. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh! That, so I mean, that's you you know consider the source, like Annie said. That's yeah, quite, and, well, you that's know, I mean, when we were at Comic Con, I gotta say it was kind of flattering to hear um, uh, Jeff, who interviewed us for Sci-Fi Magazine. He had watched the film a few times and was pointing out all of you know his like favorite things about it and giving us all of these wonderful compliments. And I have to say, I mean, it's easy to get yeah, kind of addicted to that kind of stuff and to hear the praise. <laughs> and so you know, I mean, when people are saying nice things about your work, it is really nice and flattering to hear but if you you know kind of open yourself up to all the nice things then you have to know that you might hear something that you don't want to hear that might stay in your head but um the the interviews were really fun because people just the fact that they had watched it so closely and paid such close attention and were bringing up these things that I thought only guy or I would you know appreciate because they were so very specific and then they're pointing them out I was like oh my god <laughs> you know we have fans watching these yeah. watching this movie multiple times so but you will end up with a lot more fans once a lot more people watch the film. You'll definitely end up with it. Because if I've got to choose my favorite thing, it's actually the, char- the, the character of Alistair. Because yeah. he's, from, the, from what I've seen so far, he's such a likable guy. He is. And that, if you've got a main character who you're not really that bothered with, and with a lot of horror films, it tends to fall in without where you go, I don't care if they die. I'm yeah, tough. yeah. None of them are nice. I'm not bothered. So if Alistair wasn't that likable, you wouldn't really care. You're like, oh, I'm not bothered whether he gets back to his wife or not, really. But it's the <laughs> total opposite. You're like, I really want to know whether he gets back to his wife or not, and I hope he's okay, and where's he sleeping, and has he melted in that World War One uniform yet? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly, in the blazing sun of, of Los Angeles. No, you make a great point, especially for a movie like this. I mean, if if the audience can't get on board with that main character, and in this case, I mean, there's like sort of an extra obstacle to getting them on board, meaning that his story or who he says he is is not believable. It's not plausible. So in order to the, – the fact that Alistair is so engaging and intelligent and likable and sort of erudite and and kind of has this kind of – elegant uh like poised way about him and he's so intriguing that does a lot for just the the audience's experience of this movie they want to believe him they want to get on board and in that way the audience the audience is going on the same journey that poppy is um they're they're as sort of hooked on him as she is so it's it's a great testament to the the way that guy wrote the character and then the way that he embodied him in in playing him that everyone 
roots for this guy, even if they don't believe, even if they think he's mentally ill or whatever they think he is saying he's from 1918, they want him to have a happy ending. And one of the luxuries we had with it, with it was that, I mean, you can't just throw on that uniform and, and just go for it and it immediately be likable, him be likable. Annie took me through a lot of exercises. We do a lot of theater type preparation uh, with the character, many hours of, of doing backstory for the character. So this is one of the things that the luxuries of independent film and having more time and not having rushing to set and, um, you know, which you do get sometimes with much larger budget films that we've been discussing is that we had time to to rehearse and having a theater a director, you know, ended up with that result where we now see this fully formed character who we were really rooting for. Yeah, Guy and I, it's kind of like a match made in heaven. And so far as I love, I love working with actors and I love all of that backstory stuff and doing physical exercises, visualization exercises, because I believe that those add textures and levels of nuance to a performance. They round it out and they're also, uh, they're really fun and they always yield discoveries that you never would have um, made if you just went at the work in a sort of intellectual way. And then, so that, so I love that stuff. Then you've got Guy, who's an actor, who's all only looking to bring 100% his A-game. I mean, he's so committed to every single aspect of it. He does a lot of that backstory stuff. He does more preparation than, than most actors I've ever worked with. So then there's this just like huge amount of raw material that I get to shape and tweak and draw out and kind of put a little bit of a little bit more shape to. And I think it's really telling when you watch this film that that performance, it just jumps through the screen and grabs the viewer. And that's from all of those, you know, hours of work. It's not just the talent. It's also the, the work ethic and all those hours of, you know, sort of dedication that he had to getting it right. And when you watch it, uh, just as a, an example for your, for your listeners, if they, if they do watch the film. So we're talking about specifically an example of that would be in the kitchen scene where Poppy is going through Alistair's jacket to find some clues about him. And she finds stacks of love letters that he's written to his wife. I mean, those aren't just props of bits of paper. Those are that's a stack of maybe 40 love letters and poems that are handwritten out to Millie. So that's the kind of depth that we're talking about that we, we have the luxury to do when, when we're making an independent film. Yeah, Guy, as part of his acting preparation to play this character, actually wrote these love poems on, you know, hamburger wrappers and and napkins and stuff like that. And it's so it's so smart because on the one hand <laughs> we need that prop anyway. Um, and why not, why not kill two birds with one stone? But also what that does, it's again, it's like, you know, an, an audience member watching this movie might not ever know that those are real poems that the actor actually wrote, but the act of doing that, of writing 40 poems made its way into, it seeped into his bones that, that, Alistair as poet became a part of the actor. Um, I mean, it's it's just like amazing when you just commit 100% to fully inhabiting a character, then the, the textures and the, you know, just le depths that can come out of it. 
You really are a man of many talents, aren't you, Guy? You're a poet now. <laughs> he is. Wow. He's a renaissance. He is a man of so many talents. Uh, spin-off book. I think there needs to be a book, a poems by Alistair book. <laughs> oh, no. Which yes, you can then merch, read. Totally. You can go that, read that could have been Alistair's year's. way. Yeah, yeah. Alistair starts a cottage industry. Of, no, I could do like a video sitting by the fireplace yes. with like a smoking jacket on and a pipe. I like and, it. And just read poems. Alistair, Alistair. became the <laughs> poet laureate. Pretty rad. Many Had things are said in online. jest. I can, I, can, I can actually envision that, and I'm, yeah, that's, that would work. That would work. Yeah, just have the poster of Alistair 1980. I like background. it. Background. People are cool point. What's that film? I might watch that. Yeah. Well, make, that. We'll can make little videos. little Halloween costumes for little kids. Alistair, Alistair, uh, 1918 <laughs> costumes. You could do. I mean, Complete with it? a GoPro camera. Oh hell yeah. Watching the film, it's I mean, Alistair is a soldier, so he could snap my neck like a twig, but it's, <laughs> he feels very childlike, very innocent. Certainly in modern day LA, where you're like, that's why I'm watching it going, I hope he's okay. But he's yeah. a soldier, so if he runs into anybody, unless they've got like a, an AK 47 on him or something, he yeah. can pretty much take care of himself. So it's, it's like a mixed emotion thing. He's very childlike with the innocence, but he could uh, he, do some he, damage. He could do some yeah. damage. Yeah, absolutely. It's like this typical, well, it's like the fish out of water thing, but it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, he's physically strong and very uh, capable, adaptable. He's got these skills that a soldier has. And in that way, he's like better suited to, you know, survival than a lot of modern people. On the other hand, he's in a modern city. He has no money, no ID, no, nobody to believe him, no, you know, support. He's just relying on his instincts and, you know, I mean, literally keeping it uh, taking care of his basic needs, food, water, shelter from day to day, which, uh, you know, and, and shade and, um, and that's kind of like a, a full-time job, you know, and, but he's got this much larger urgent need to get back. And he's apparently very good at catching squirrels though, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Not so good at putting on a seatbelt, but very good at catching squirrels. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what were we going to say there, guy? Before I derailed you. Oh no, yeah, no. I was just saying, you know, it's the, it's. It, I'm sure you see them uh, in in Manchester, but it's the tourist. You know, you'll see this person who is just, you know, very confident in their home environment, and then you stick them in another city, and they're just wandering around, just looking up, and don't know where they're going or what they're doing or where to eat or you know who to talk to, and they're just so vulnerable. And sometimes we'll see tourists in LA who are in a part of town they're not supposed to be. And it's late at night and they're, you know, you can always spot them because everyone has, you know, bright clothes on and they're all, you know, tanned. Not like the rest of us just like, you know, racing around in cars. And then you're just like, oh, do you know where you're going? You know, you're just so vulnerable. Yeah, it's so, true. We yeah. are vulnerable. Yeah. That's like me in San Diego Comic Con. It's like, I don't, do we get on this tram? Do we pay yeah. for it? I, <laughs> going. it was, That's Alistair. Yeah. Yes, and in day two, I was lobstered. I was sun yeah. got me on day yeah. one. Oh yeah, it's like ah, I'm melting. So, but it was very, very good. So, what was your most favorite memory of shooting the film? Let's say a question to each of you. What's your oh, most boy. fun memory? If somebody said pick one. Other than oh, the film, you know, like there that. are there are too many to count, but uh, a couple of highlights that really stand out. Um, when we shot in Santi Alley downtown, that was one of my favorite days of shooting. Uh, there was something, I mean, I'm, I'm from New York originally, uh, born and raised in Staten Island. And I went to uh, school in Manhattan 
And there's something about being in Santee Alley that I think just really woke up the city girl in me. And there was something very exciting about shooting in this this bustling, busy area crushed with, uh, with people. And just, I also love the way that it came out on screen, the colors and, um, the sounds and the, the, the music that was playing. So that was one of my favorite, uh, favorite shooting days. And then one of my others is actually, well, I can't give any spoilers, but I will tell you that it is the penultimate scene of the film. Uh, that was a really fun, beautiful, seen to shoot, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just for that one, it was more about us all being together and, um, sort of the, the meat of that scene, the event that takes place in that scene, the kind of art mirroring reality and this sort of triumphant feel of shooting that. Yeah. When I, I, get, when I get to that bit in just over an hour, I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> they were all happy and smiley. That's not good. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can be like, Oh, that's what she meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the days that I, I wasn't in the uniform and I was uh, not acting were because you just you're the pressure's off. And there was a scene with Annie and Tom Cano, who is just uh, hilarious in this film. He's our he's our comic relief, even though it wasn't written that way. He just brought, <laughs> we just we're, we're yeah, we're in stitches every time we watch him Uh just watching Annie, he has a scene with Annie where she's she's trying to convince him to help get Alistair a job, you know, because he's got to he's got to earn some money. And so that just um, and, you know, being on an indie film set, you can't just sit in your trailer, you know. You, so I was I was operating boom that day. And um, that was just so lovely to watch because you sort of how you're a step back and you're like, wow, we're making this film. The actors are here. The actors are like, oh. And so it's, it's, that was a lovely, a lovely moment. And, you know, if I may, there was one more that was really great. Um, this scene, boy, I don't, I don't think you've seen this scene yet, Stuart, but I will tell you that we did a shoot where Guy has to be in like a, a very, he's outside and um, ugh, I don't, I don't know how to tell you anything without any, <laughs> don't any spoil spoilers. It. I'll follow All right. Well, uh, <laughs> it's right around. Uh, keyword tea. We get him a cup of tea. Let's just put it that way. And uh, but shooting that scene that night, I mean, oh my god, that was one where I thought someone is gonna like ask us to leave. Someone is going to get in our shot or ruin this or say, "What are you doing?" Because, um, oh boy, well that's not not that's not really a great anecdote because I can't I can't tell you all <laughs> the reasons ruin. why uh, why we might have attracted attention that night. But I mean, it's, we, it's we got... had a blast shooting all over town. It was really fun and now every time i drive around la i see different places we shot and i kind of oh alistair you know i mean it's not fully to avoid ruining it for me but it's to avoid (laughs) it for anybody else because you must fight certainly with the big hollywood blockbusters and stuff you could you could actually write a review of those without ever having seen it because everything is known about the big films you see countless trailers clips interviews spoiler articles or by a lot of the major uh the major outlets you know you're, you're yeah as much as i love the hollywood reporting variety stuff you could watch all those and you could learn stuff and you can go into a film and just tick box everything off go oh that's the bit that's this character he's playing that and what i love about independent and smaller films is you don't know because you alistair 1918 is as much as it should it isn't on the front of variety so it, we don't know a lot about it. So you put a yeah. film on and you go, right, just entertain me. And it's so glorious when you discover one that does. 
Yes, and it's absolutely. great, and you just you want everybody else to feel that as well. So that's why I don't tend to go into spoilery bits and stuff because people no. should. I agree. I, whenever I go see a play, I, I like to know nothing about it. I really, except the only thing I want to know about it is how long it is. Does it have an intermission? But that just has to do with my crazy co- coffee habit and needing to use the restroom a million times. But I don't like to know anything about the plot. I always enjoy it, but I uh, studiously avoid reading reviews until, you know, until after I've seen a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same with a lot of films. I'll generally watch one trailer. And then that's yeah, when I go, yep, yeah, I want to watch that one now. And then even if I open Empire Magazine and there's a seven-page spread about this film that I want to watch, I will put that magazine to one side and read mm-hmm. it after I've watched the film. I don't want to know everything. It's The film isn't – for me, it's not designed like that. I don't want to see a breakdown of the new Kate Bush album. I want to just put it on and listen to it. <laughs> totally, and discover totally. it that way. I don't want to know a track listing or – you know, how long the tracks are or what this song means or what that song means. I just press play and listen to it. And that's, I agree. I think it's, you have a more pure experience. Like it once, you know, it's like once you know anything about something, then it kind of puts it in a container or it creates certain expectations that then you expect to either be satisfied or, you know, or like defied. And I just think it's kind of more exciting to experience something for the first time without having any preconceived notions, just let it sort of happen to you and wash over you. And then a lot of films, um, do sort of reward a second viewing. And I definitely think Alistair is one of those films because once you know, I guess, where it's going and how it ends, then you can kind of go back and, and see all of the neat ways in which, you know, uh, it was sort of crafted. Exactly. But people who listen to this generally, have, this is my 359th episode, I think, of, of the podcast. Oh my, so this wow. I only ever started doing it. I thought I'll get six episodes done. I'll have told all my... You know, movie stories, and I'll be done, and I've got it out of my system. But um, I'm still, still plugging away at them. I've not run out of stories because I'm making whole new ones. So it's it's great. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people who, and certainly in my real life, who I know, if I say to them, "I've watched this film, watch it," they generally know to trust me. Nice. And I've been right pretty much every time. There's a friend of mine called Bob, and he said the only time I ever got it wrong for him was when I said I really loved the Blair Witch Project. And I he, like the Blair Witch yeah. Project. Well, he likes the premise of the film. He's not a fan of the shaky cam. Well, yeah, so that, was, him, that was definitely shaky. There's no doubt about that. That was one where there was all these stories about people like getting physically ill in the movie theater watching Blair Witch, but that was not my experience. That's a perfect example of like if you saw that movie before you heard, you know, all of the stuff about it, it was much more exciting. Like. That was one of the cool early, like really neat uh, invisible marketing campaign where there was that whole thing. I just remember being in high school and people being like, it's a real, it's a real thing. It's a documentary. And it was like, no, that's just the way they're marketing it. It's not actually a documentary about, you know, these people in Massachusetts that died. Like, but it was a very clever, you know, clever campaign. You could have done that with Alistair. Though. That would be like, totally could have. That, that yeah. would work. Especially if you went to Comic-Con. It's like, I am Alistair. Where am I? What's this? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, with the shaky cam thing, you can get away with it much more easily these days because the majority of independent films are watched on a much smaller scale. So you're not going to be as seasick watching it on an iPad as you would on an enormous screen. So you can get away with because we have a little bit of shaky. Little I shaky. mean, I don't. I think the the style, the documentary style of filmmaking so it is it's not all steady cam and tracking shots and all that sort of stuff 
I think the shaky cam stuff is fine as long as it's within the rules of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Blair Witch Project it is. I've actually yeah. heard people saying, I didn't like that Blair Witch Project because it looks like it was filmed on camcorders. It's like, it was. Within right. the film as well. For God's sake, if you don't watch the film. And within Alistair 1918, that's within the rules of the film because you're making a documentary about homeless people and that fits in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's when people start going, I'm going to make a Transformers movie with shaky cams. That kind of doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, worked we- in Cloverfield as well. That was fine. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Certain projects sort of want that shaky cam thing. And, you know, it's funny, we were really careful guy and me about adhering to those rules that we set up like every now and then, you know, as a, you know, I, I directed it and every now and then I would kind of want a nice clean two shot and say, can't we just have a shot where it's the two of them. And then it's like, yeah, but Annie, then who's holding the camera? And I was like, but do you think the audience will really notice this one time? And I have to say, I'm so pleased that uh, guy kind of kept me honest. And we just, we really stuck to those rules of that we created, you know, who is holding this camera? Cause there's Alistair shot on a number of different cameras, which the viewers will see when they, when they check out the movie. Um, it's got, Oh my God, like everything from go, GoPro footage to laptop to, uh, you know, three different kinds of other cameras and selfies. And, um, and so we had to be very, very sort of disciplined about sticking to those rules so that we didn't break, you know, break the kind of audience's sense of disbelief. And we also shot an entire scene, a sequence that we had to cut because it didn't really fit in with the rules that would set up. And it was, and it was a fight scene with a fight choreographer. It was a very elaborate multiple people on that day. Uh, Yeah. And it was raining and there was like a baseball bat. It was like, (laughs) it was so elaborate and, um, and this really cool angle actually like looking down at it, you know, this kind of security camera footage style angle. But at the end of the day, even though the, the, that scene came out looking, looking amazing. I, I just knew that it didn't make sense in terms of where that footage would have come from. Like, again, sort of sticking to being really rigorous about sticking to the rules of this movie and, uh, whose point of view this is that if we included that scene, it would have kind of opened up Pandora's box in terms of like, wait, who, who cut the footage that we are seeing now? If the conceit is that this is this documentary, it didn't really make sense where you would have gotten that footage. So, you know, in the end I opted to, uh, to cut it from the film and, um, you know, we were really respectful of the people that had given their time and their talents working on it and let them know, you know, that we had to cut it for, for, you know, the, in, you know, for the integrity, um, of the film (laughs) and everyone was cool about it. I'm cutting it because you were terrible. No, it's not yeah, no, it's not, and it's also not like, hey, come and see it, and then you know, some some actors they go see their screenings of their films, and then they learn their cut. I mean, we would, I would never do that to anybody. I went to see a, a film once, and the lead had been overdubbed with someone else's voice. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, the entire film. No, and they didn't tell them, and it was, and they found out at the screening. That's terrible. Yeah, oh. that's bad. It wasn't Star Wars and Dave Bruce, was it? Because we know he's, he's not happy about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, actors, I mean, God, you, you want, it's so, it's a rough, it's rough. But no, I've had feedback from some actors who will, because I speak to a lot of people, 
um, um, filmmaking and stuff, and some of the feedback, um, oh, I've seen the film and it's terrible. <laughs> You're like, what? They went, yep, it's not the film I thought I shot. Or, um, oh, what's one of the classic ones? And I think I've forgotten it now, so that kind of makes no sense. But I will get, oh yeah, the title changes and stuff. So I will hear people oh, yeah. whinging about their own films sometimes. But <laughs> I always urge them, don't do it publicly. <laughs> Just yeah. if you're going to whinge in private, it's fine. doesn't go anywhere, not a problem, but don't do it publicly. And yeah. usually yeah. listen, so that would be quite scary. So what was the most difficult thing? We've done the nice, fun, happy times. Was there anything within the film that was the toughest thing is it my turn to go mm-hmm. first yeah you go uh, first guy so um you know i was responsible f- for the early part a lot of the creative uh part of the you know putting the the cast and crew together and then after uh, annie came on it's a it's a constant process of letting go of of your idea of what it's going to be and the uh editing process is very difficult was very difficult for me to just stay out of it because you've got so much invested in, uh, you, you know, you, you've spent two years of your life on this thing, day and night, uh, your, all your money, and then just to stay out of the editing process and let Annie do her thing as the director. And it's why you hire these, you know, skilled people is because they they have an eye for it and they uh, you just have to shut up and get out of the way. And that's oh, it's so difficult because you want to you want to jump in and and, and put in your own ideas um, that that went out of fashion two years ago. As soon as you got <laughs> actors in, you know you, those ideas aren't relevant anymore. And so the filmmaking is constant process of letting go over numerous months and years and letting the experts do the thing. And so glad that you know in those times, Annie. And Devin and I got together a couple of times to review different cuts, but really they're the ones responsible for for the end film that we see. And I'm I'm so grateful that I I didn't in, intervene on that, you know. That but that was that was tough. Annie, can you top that? Yes. <laughs> can I top? It's like, that? Yeah, trying to keep guy out of the editing room is the <laughs> toughest thing I had to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we had to lock the doors and keep him away and distract him. No, I, no. I even tried to stab him with a drug needle one night while he was asleep right. on top of the landing strip. <laughs> Sending him to do reshoots. Yeah. Um, no, the, for me, by far the most difficult uh, part of shooting Alistair was just directing myself as an actor. That um, I think maybe if you're an experienced film director, that's, uh, not as huge of a challenge, but for me, a first time film director, that was difficult. Um, just because, you know, the mindset that you have to be in to, to direct is utterly different than the mindset that you're in as an actor. When you're a director, I mean, you really are trying to watch it from taking that sort of step back that eye of the audience, Um, and what, you know, what do I see? Does it make sense? What's the storytelling here? If you're an actor, you're only supposed to be thinking about what you want and how you're going to get it. And there shouldn't be, you are by nature, not looking for, not standing on the outside looking in. I mean, you're only looking out and it's, it's really hard to toggle back and forth between those two viewpoints. And I, um, really loved those few days that we had where I wasn't acting at all. And I was just directing the actors. Those for me were really liberating and I could just firmly put on that directing hat 
it's also nice to not have to put on any makeup uh, <laughs> or blow dry my hair and just kind of like be there in a baseball hat, just uh, a little bit more in my comfort zone, storytelling, directing, working with actors who are not me. So uh, that was the hardest part. But you've set yourself a pretty high benchmark for your second feature film. Because <laughs> this is your debut for, for sort of feature films. Uh, have you got plans to do another one? Or are you just concentrating on the plays at the minute and then you'll think about beyond that afterwards? At the moment, at the moment, the plays are taking my focus, though. I have to say now that I've been bitten by the filmmaking bug, I'm really I would like to do another film uh, sooner rather than later. I just there aren't any um, there aren't any projects right now coming down the pipeline that are that are films. I've got this uh, play that I'm directing right now called Sisters 3, and then there's this other play that I direct that's a long-running popular show called Fairy Tale Theater 18 and Over, and we've got a show coming up in January at Groundlings, and we're also developing uh, developing the show as a web series with uh, Wildline Entertainment, so that's very exciting. Um, but I, I would love to direct another film soon and not be in it. I, I think that sounds awesome. Like Alistair 1939. Just <laughs> yeah. There you go. You can just keep spinning it out, like Back to the Future. It'll just like Alistair's descendants, like they'll all come from different times and they've all just like come through this wormhole. And it would be well, cool if we could take a field trip to England maybe and uh, shoot some there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't have to worry about melting in the uniform over here. You'd be putting more uniforms on because it's <laughs> four degrees over here at the minute. It's cold. Oh, so. no. But I mean, bear in mind, I've not seen the end of Alistair 1918 yet, but Alistair 1939 could just open with a shot of him going, oh, not again. At the very least, we should shoot that trailer, even if it's just for our own amusement. Yeah. I think that would be yeah. fun. Shoot it at Comic-Con. <laughs> just have yeah. him Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what about yourself, Guy? What have you got coming up? Um, I'm actually editing the uh, behind the scenes uh, for Alistair right now. So I'm going to be putting out those over December, January uh, 2017. So that's exciting, just reliving all of the the times we've had over the past uh, few years making. Uh, but as far as new projects, you know, being out in L.A. with the needles, I has just <laughs> thrown me towards uh green screen filmmaking I'm, I'm i'm a bit of a techie <laughs> yeah I'm a, I'm a bit of a techie at heart and uh just uh, creating a, a complete fantasy world uh on green screen with characters and building it all inside uh, the computer is uh that's very appealing to me so i think starting next year uh but d- in making of alistair you know n- since alistair you know daily vlogging has happened so I think instead of doing sort of the making of after, I'm just going to do a, a web series of of me, the process of making this next project, whether it's a film or whatever, as I go along. So just kind of to take people from the process as it's actually happening. So that that's going to be something different. But definitely, definitely green screen in the comfort of a, an air conditioned <laughs> studio somewhere. I mean, I'm all about suffering for your art, but sort of rolling <laughs> over onto a syringe yeah, is yeah. not really what yeah. that phrase is is meant for is it (laughs) it's also funny it's like most of the artists that i know whenever they whenever they've just finished the thing that they want to do next is totally different (laughs) it's like stretching there i love that about artists i love that you know i mean you go from direct to you know go from embodying this really realistic thing and this gritty you know and then want to do something completely different i think that artists 
just always want to like push themselves and stretch themselves and, you know, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Like Hugh Jackman, he always seems to, he's kind of a great example of that. Whatever he does, you know, he does like a big, huge blockbuster movie and then he does a Broadway show or, you know, takes on like a totally other kind of smaller indie role, but... Well, Clooney used to be like that, didn't he? It was like one minute it's oceans, whatever. Next minute, you know, good night and good luck. Which totally. Which is a little black and white film for $25 type thing. And then he's yes, off to something big again. As well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, but it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to the pair. You do yeah. keep me updated on the journey of Alistair. 1918, I'm, but also these making of sound really cool as well. So keep I, me updated on that. So great. Well, you know, it's funny because when, uh, going back to Comic-Con again, sorry to bore your listeners here, but they, uh, my plan for promoting the film at Comic-Con was, okay, well, I'm going to get hold of the press list and then I'm going to email everyone on the press list and invite them to the show, uh, to, to this, to the screening. And so I got the press list and it was, 2700 different yep. people and i was like how am i gonna so i went down this entire list and earmarked everyone and i found your podcast and i was like oh this I sounds know. interesting and then i emailed you and you were actually the i think you were the first person to email back and then you really you actually oh. did a blog post for us which we then put out so thank you for your support of the film i mean when we you know, uh, those people, the press for a Comic-Con just got bombarded with emails and it was so <laughs> you cool. tell to, me about it. Yeah, so cool to get uh, a response back. It was just, it was like, wow, you know, someone is promoting the film. And um, so, and since then I've become a fan of your podcast and, and uh, so thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Stuart, we greatly appreciate it. I mean, at this point, like like I outlined earlier, our big goal right now with this film is just to share it with as many people uh, we can. And, you know, being on shows like this is is it's huge because you've got this whole reach, you know, of followers and people that, that we don't know at all. And if we could get some, you know, some people to watch the film based on this this interview, then it's just we're just like super grateful for getting to do these fun interviews that, you know, also help us get more eyeballs all over the world on this project that we, that we love so much and that we think is really worthy of, uh, you know, of viewing. I'm super proud that you two have come onto it. Cause I, I always use this phrase. It's like, I get the easy bit. I get to sit down for an hour and a half, and watch film and then talk about it. And it's great. And I enjoy it. But you put years into putting a film together. So you get the hard part. I get the easy and the fun <laughs> bit. I watch it and go, yay, that's great. Hey, everybody, watch that film because it's <laughs> awesome. But you are I don't tend to rank the 10 films because it's like, how do you compare a comedy against a drama and a thriller against a science fiction film? But yours, yours is in my top 10. So I've now got Thank to look you. at my list later on. I've got to kick one out. Um, <laughs> I don't know which one's going to get kicked out yet, but something will get kicked out to make way for Alistair 1918. So thank you for making it. Thank you for letting me watch it. And now everybody else can watch it. So just remind everybody again where they can follow you on Twitter, because social media is massive, and also where they can actually check your film out. Alistair 1918. So it's spelled out A L I S T A I R 1918.com. You can watch the movie. And at Alistair1918 on Twitter, uh, tons of behind-the-scenes stuff we'll be posting over the next couple of months. Thank you for giving it a look. And uh, what are what's your Twitter, at Guy Burt Whistle? Yeah. And Guy's name is spelled, uh, Burt Whistle is spelled B-I-R-T-W-H-I-S-T-L-E. And I'm on Twitter at, at Annie McVeigh. 
uh, McVeigh is M-C-V-E-Y. And yeah, the, the movie uh, is available at Alistair1918.com. And the first 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes are up there to, to uh, for free, just to try to hook people into hopefully renting it and seeing what happens. It took me three minutes, I think, to be hooked. So I, don't think, I, I know people can go and watch the first 20 minutes for free, but you don't need to. Because it is, it's a charming film. Alistair is such a likable guy. And as you've mentioned before, Annie, it's like people have come back and said, this is a seriously original film. Yeah. It is. I, I can't think of the last time I saw a film that I felt was so original since I saw Donnie Darko. Wow. Back in 2001. And, you know, there's no big rabbits and stuff in, in Alice 19. <laughs> just squirrels. Just squirrels. There's squirrels. No rabbits, just a bunch poor, of squirrels. No, hopefully no squirrels were harmed during the making of the No, film. surely um, no. I mean, that's a catering budget and a half, that one. <laughs> so, but it is, I remember watching Donnie Darko going, I, I've never seen a film this original for yeah. quite a while. And Alistair 1918 is kind of the same sort of feeling you go yes so anybody who whinges that oh, all films are the same no no i always think if anybody says that all movies are kind of the same or they're all remakes or this that and the other they don't watch enough films and yes. they don't watch the right the right films is probably more accurate so never mind this free 20 minutes lark <laughs> go, go to alistair 1918 and check it out and watch the whole movie okay, so Thank enjoy you so much, Stuart. And you too. I'm, yes, enjoy your evening. <laughs> I will enjoy your afternoon.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.